0: Welcome back to the Plug In for More podcast. Uh, Mike and I are here to talk to you a little bit with Miss Go Electric. We have an interview with her which is a pretty interesting listen. And we also want to talk to you about another big news is going on in the EV space, which is the Tesla Superchargers are opening up to non-Tesla owners.
1: Welcome to Plug In for More, brought to you by EVuniverse.com. EVuniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant.
2: Big news, Tesla Supercharger Network. I know a lot of people have been excited about this for a long time, it has finally arrived. Now, one thing, one caveat, when this hits the news, and I think if you're really in tune with what's going on in the EV, universe ev world is that it is not for the full supercharging network it's only a small subset so don't get too excited right now it is only as of this recording only in a few chargers over in new york and then a couple in california so this does not relieve all of the pressure that is built up Um, but it is it's, it's a big deal and i think we will see a lot more information coming out soon as far as how this is actually working i think it's very slick from what we've seen so far i haven't personally used it but i'm excited to test it out with the
0: rubian right and i'm looking at the app right now and i keep updating it daily to wait for it to like increase and go out elsewhere because you've got like what 11 chargers that are in the state of new york up through like lake ontario like i like erie area so that's pretty cool um but by the end of the year we're expected to see this pushed out closer to nationwide at least that's the promise which I don't know how much we take promises from Tesla, but.
2: Always with a grain of salt, but, (laughs) um, and hopefully the, the charging, um, the the ones that they, the supercharges that they do open up are going to be in, um, areas that are underserved from the other charging networks so that it can make nationwide travel a little bit easier. Um, and it's not just cherry picked in areas that are going to be less utilized, there, there's going to be some issues, and I think we're already seeing some of that just where the location of the chargers are. But again, we can we'll get into more of that um, on future episodes. Um, but it's it's a it's big news, and I think it does bring a sigh of relief to a lot of people who don't own a, a tesla
1: you're listening to the Plug In for more podcast if you're looking for information on electric vehicles electric vehicles components or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint look no further than evuniverse.com evuniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle
0: we're joined today with Miss Go Electric. She's an EV advocate and educator, um, someone in the space that we've been following and have been taking in some of her content. And we're excited to have her join us here today. Welcome!
3: Thank you so much. I'm excited to join you guys.
0: Can you tell us more about yourself and what type of vision that you're bringing and your goals for the the EV space?
3: Yeah. So I actually uh, have been in the automotive industry for just over a decade and. Uh, my experience has been in uh, not only training programs, but also new product launches and marketing programs for automakers and their agency partners. So, I'm a partner in a company called Inscribe Interactive, who uh, provides curriculum and marketing services for those automakers and agency par- partners. And when the pandemic hit, I couldn't do that job, but I still wanted to educate. And now that I'm very focused in the EV space, since I was on the launch program for the BMW i3. That's really where I kind of fell in love with all the EV technology. And I was an early um, test driver. Um, I had an early test drive experience with a Model S uh, when that first came out. And I just was like, man, this is so exciting to see. This technology move forward and it really become a lifestyle change for drivers. Uh, someone particularly like me who travels a lot and has their car sit at home for long periods of time, that they don't want to deal with maintenance or anything of that nature. So then uh, I decided during the pandemic with my partner, well, you know maybe I take this education to the internet and create a brand where I can educate more people on electrification since that's what I'm passionate about. And since I already know the automotive business, why not have a female perspective, which I don't see much of in this unique position, create a brand right. to solely get people excited and more knowledgeable about the transition to EV. So that's when I started MISCO Electric was during the pandemic. And kind of like a springboard for that was I actually got an email since I'm an early reservation holder for a Rivian R1T Mm. from the Rivian team, and they sent out a a newsletter to the reservation holder saying, hey, there is this legislation that's getting introduced in Michigan, which we had seen in previous years um, when Tesla was trying to set up their direct sales initiative in the state of Michigan. But there was another bill that was coming through that they wanted to stop. This direct sales movement in the state of Michigan, and I spoke up and said, "Well, I actually have very unique experience in this because I have been inside these dealers and I know a lot about this business. So I feel like I could do a little bit more than just, you know, send a note or a letter or email to legislators and prevent something like this. So what I did was I I wrote back to Rivian and said." You know, I I have this perspective, and I really want to see EVs, um, you know, proliferate in my state, especially. So why don't I speak against this passing of this bill that was going to prevent direct sales for brands like Rivian and Lucid? Sure. So what I did was I I went into the state capital and I said what I wanted to say, and essentially, you know, my stance is pro consumer choice. That's my main. Uh, initiative is, although I love EVs, I think people should be able to choose how to purchase a vehicle, and um, that was something that I talked about during that particular state uh, legislator meeting. And I had a recording of it, so I put that on as my first video with Misco Electric as mm. kind of like the the launch of the brand.
2: It's a great video, by the way.
3: Why? Thank you. <laughs> It was a little intimidating going in there because I had not done anything like that before, uh, but I just felt like since I was in such a unique position that I had to speak up.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've watched it. I think originally when you first put it out, and um, one, it's it's impressive, and I think what you, you the message was great, and I think for everyone on um, on this podcast, we agree with the message that you um, that you gave at the time, and um, hopefully, it's just going to you know continue, and there are going to be less and less need for. Um, those type of discussions with the state legislatures, but we all know that that's uh gonna be an ongoing battle at least for the for the near future.
3: yeah, it is a little tough just because dealers are i don't think a lot of people realize this but they're so powerful they're even more powerful than the automakers. so when I was in the room with some of the representatives from the automakers and the dealer representatives, you could definitely tell that the automakers themselves were very shy to speak up and timid because they know that you know, they, they have to rely on the dealers and the dealers are even more powerful than the automakers in this case. So they have a lot of leverage and, you know, they, they employ a lot of people that are on the ground level. And unfortunately more and more, we see that less, uh, Lower salaries are coming in for these types of roles and the turnover rate is really high, but the people at the very top are some of the wealthiest in the state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of consolidation happening. So there are these y- used to be a lot of s- small ma and pot type dealership um, locations, but they're just getting gobbled up. And especially during the pandemic, there was a ton of con- consolidation where uh, the big groups like Lithia and Auto Nation and things like that are just buying up all these small shops and becoming one giant dealer group. So it's a little challenging, uh, but it is that bill is dead in the water right now. It did get passed through the House, but it, it died in the Senate. So hopefully it I've been keeping my eye out and making sure it doesn't come back, but hopefully it uh stays dead in the water. I guess when we're looking
2: at some of the the new um Yeah. New things in the EV space. I mean, one of the main things that has come across, and a lot of people are aware of this, is the Inflation Reduction Act, and especially used EVs. What's your impression of how that's um, that's affecting the the used EV sales? What do you think that's going to do for adoption? And just what's your overall take?
3: I think that when we look at the Inflation Reduction Act, and uh, not only the one with used EVs, but the new car sales as well, is this was really seemingly a bill that was Uh, manufactured for propping up the automakers or mostly the dealerships in this case with the used EV credit to allow them to keep, you know, bring profit in and breed out, uh, you know, beat out any kind of uh, private pricing or margins. So for me, I I think that maybe it's not necessarily an EV adoption bill. (laughs) It's more geared towards the business side of things. Um, and easily it can be marketed as, you know, celebration of EV adoption. But um, yeah, I think that especially when we talked about the used EV credit, it's very limiting and um, it's only a seven kilowatt hour battery that that needs to apply. So most of the vehicles that do qualify for this are going to be plug-in hybrids. We see the list of them on the IRS website and You see tons of plug-in hybrids available there and even uh, hydrogen-based vehicles uh, have the ability to claim it as well. But yeah, I think it's somewhat restricting, but I think it'll be probably good for the dealer groups (laughs) and uh, making a little bit more profit, forcing profit there to their hand because that process happens right in the dealership.
2: Yep. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things that this always brings up, especially when we look at hybrids, my opinion is that it's just the worst of both worlds um, in a lot of ways. I
3: agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: it, it seems like a great idea that you can, hey, you can go around town and just use, use electricity. And then if you go on a long trip, you can use gas.
3: I, I essentially agree. The complexity of a plug-in hybrid, you still have all the systems that are potential to go wrong. So there's a lot of serviceability with them. I highly... <laughs> I'm a firm believer that a lot of EVs on the market will definitely fit a lot of people's lifestyles at this moment in time. They just don't realize it. And they're really scared of the range anxiety and worrying that they'll run out of charge. And you know what? There is a little bit of, um, you know, I, I, I agree with them to some sense with that because of the state of the infrastructure. Essentially, I think more people don't realize that the average commute for a driver is 30 to 40 miles a day in the United States. And so an EV, even the ones with a 250 mile range, and you're in the winter, it'll still work for your lifestyle. Now, I am a bigger advocate for more range um, and specifically more efficiencies to be able to get more range out of a smaller pack because I don't necessarily think that make you know having a bigger battery pack is the solution there. No. We need to try to make it more efficient. Um, but I can definitely see as to why people might want to get a plug-in hybrid because they want that sense of security. But overall, I think it's you know a lot of complexity that people don't need. And they will realize that eventually, hopefully. But also with plug-in hybrids, people don't necessarily have to plug in every single time. So are they actually going to utilize it? That's the other side of it is that some people might. Um, and the other thing is when they go to a public charger, you know it, it at this state there are not as many as we would all like as far as charging stations go but you know are those people clogging up it creates some controversy there for the full uh battery electric vehicle drivers who need a charge and have to rely on the charging infrastructure whereas those with plug in hybrids are just going and getting a charge just because they need to but you know they can plug in too so what's the right answer there for them being allowed to utilize the infrastructure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. I've been at a number of you know, Electro-America uh, chargers and randomly there'll be a plug-in hybrid that can only charge at a level two that will show up and want to uh, give it a shot. Um, and of course, <laughs> it, doesn't, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, but, so, I mean, there's education in, in that regard too.
3: I was just going to say, I agree with you. And um, the thing about that is I'm actually not the normal use case for an EV because I only do road trips on my EV. I don't do like, I would say probably 95% of the time I'm only road tripping in my car. So I am definitely an outlier in that case. I mean, you can still do it. I was also on a, a nationally televised show on NBC sports called charge across America. It was a rally where there were five teams competing against one another and we had to drive in CCS, compatible vehicles across the country from New York to LA and try to beat the other teams to make it the quickest. And uh, my co-driver and I won. uh, It was Ryan from the Kilowatts, if you're familiar with his uh, Mm -hmm. brand. And uh, so it is doable. And that's what a lot of people are like, well, you know, you can't take a EV here or there. Well, I can tell you, I've been literally across the country many, many times. I've been from Michigan down to Florida. And, you know, I'm starting to see this as, uh, you know, education obviously is very important. And that is my background. And I'm really passionate about it because there's so much to learn about EVs. But to be fair, you know, when you have a reliable charging network and the vehicle does that route planning for you in a seamless manner and you don't have to worry about how you're going to plug into the vehicle and get it to start charging, you know, maybe necessarily you don't have to learn all these ins and outs of all of this terminology that is new. And I'm hoping that the infrastructure can get to that point where, you know, it is reliable enough and easy enough for people to just plug in and be able to walk away. So. You know, education is definitely key. And I think it really needs to be more focused in the dealerships. I'm on a program right now, actually. Um, uh, Nissan is my client and I am uh, educating their dealers on the new Nissan Aria. And I have found, and this isn't just exclusive to any brand, to be honest, because I've been doing this for a very long time. But it seems to me that every single dealership that I go into, no matter what brand it is, there is a foundation of EV education that needs to happen because a lot of them believe in the EV myths or they've heard them and they're regurgitating them and they don't know the reality of it. And a lot of times when I come in there, they're like, Yeah, but you know, this cold climate, because I'm up in Maine right now. And I'm like, Hey, I live in rural Michigan. So uh, trust me, I know how winter is with an EV. And I've been, you know, an owner of an EV since 2016. So I know how you, are perceiving this, but I can tell you it's it is doable and it is an enjoyable experience. And more people just have to realize that this is something that is attainable at this moment in time.
0: You hit on the charge across America and some of the infrastructure stuff, and we kind of loosely covered it all. But I want to hit it down again because the the charging networks and the CCS network is is something to be considered and is something that really needs to be hammered home. And so I, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. What what insights you can share for us?
3: You know, I was on Charge Across America and we ended up winning in a Mustang Mach-E and no doubt we had some issues charging while we were going across the country. And in some cases it was a little worrisome just because, you know, one of the stations that we pulled into was the only station within about a hundred mile radius. So we had to charge there. Otherwise we were going to a nearby campground to (laughs) try to plug in uh, and get a real slow charge there. But when you're in a a a rally type competition, you don't want to take that time. You want to go as fast as possible to get to the next spot. So um, there's definitely, you know, when I started the channel, I was really excited in a target for mine, as far as a partner to work with, was Electrify America, uh, because I felt like they were one of the leaders in the public CCS uh, networks that were getting installed throughout the country. And they were they were definitely one of the main networks that we used going across the country. They have uh, a lot of the other networks are scattered mostly on the coasts and not a lot in the center of the United States. Mm-hmm. So naturally, we were able to jump on their network and charge most of the way. I'm super excited about the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program where they're going to be built out every 50 miles on highway corridors. There's a lot of restrictions as far as you got to have at least four. Stations on location, and they have to be at least 150 kilowatts uh, for charging speeds. Hmm. And I like the idea that they are forcing an uptime for the station, not just the location Hmm. itself. So each station has to be above uh, 97%. And I think that's going to help a lot. And we're starting to see those requests for proposals go out to the states, and we're going to see some installation and upfits for some of those that might qualify already with just a couple of updates and this is going to be I think a big deal for EV drivers and it's going to take a while for the stations to get installed over the next few years but at least we're starting it this year and we'll see some start to go active and then the you know response from Tesla because they would like some of that federal money too of opening up some of their supercharger network to be able to Allow CCS compatible vehicles to charge on that network. And I think that's going to be a big deal because they are quite a reliable network. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I ended up buying my cars, uh, two Teslas. I have a Model S and a Model Y. And so I think that that is going to be a big impact, especially because I think that they are going to go into the more rural communities where they can afford to in the infrastructure for a little bit less than the others. Like for example, in the state of Michigan, we had our whole proposal come out for the Nevi program. And they were projecting that the costs of of the stations would be like eighty thousand dollars And that's just very expensive. And Tesla can do it for a fraction of the cost. So I think where it's going to cost a lot of money for some of those other vendors to go a little bit further out into the sticks. Tesla will be able to do it for a lot less and get more CCS vehicles in rural areas. You
2: touched on something there that was, um, I think very, very key um, in that legislation and that's making sure the uptime for the individual um, charging stalls is up. I think it's 97% um, versus just that whole location. There's a lot of, um, a lot of media about that recently and, I mean, you'll go to a uh, luxury America or other chargers, frankly, and you, there might it might be up technically, but there might be three cars waiting for the one stall that's actually working really kind of want to drive that point home that in and of itself, I think is a, is a massive, massive deal that probably isn't getting enough press in my opinion, as it should, that kind of, again, leads me to Rivian and some of the things going on there. And I, I want to get your your thoughts on Rivian. Did you end up buying a Rivian? Because I know you just mentioned you had a couple Teslas. Oh, Tesla. But... <laughs> I'm
3: still there waiting. I'm still waiting. So yeah, actually I was, when I was going to the LA auto show back in the end of 2018, I think it was, Right before I went to that show, I started looking at the map for the show and all of a sudden I saw this name on there. And being in the business, it's like I hear a lot of the news ahead of time, but I had never seen this name before. I looked at the map. I'm like, what is Rivian? So I Googled it and I saw their website and I was like, are you serious right now? I am so excited because in my off time, what I do is I go camping, I go hiking, I do a lot of outdoor activities and I go out to the sticks where I need to drive far and Uh, you know, take my EV out in the middle of nowhere. And so I saw this brand on there that was showcasing this adventurous lifestyle. I'm like, this is me. You're speaking directly to me. (laughs) And so I saw that they were going to launch a product there. And I was so happy that I was just so happened to be in LA to go to the show. And I went to their stand and I was just so impressed. Uh, And then that moment in time, I was like, I got to have one of these. Like, and I talked to a lot of their engineers on the show floor at the LA Auto Show, and they were telling me some information. They were keeping some things tight to the vest, but I was just so excited when I first saw them. So I was like, okay, I got to put a reservation in for one of these when it's available. I reserved in uh, an R1T, and the way that I configured it was I wanted to get the Max Pack and the quad motor set up. I also wanted the power tunnel cover. I wanted the camp kitchen, all these things that looked super enticing and would fit, you know, the lifestyle that I live outside of work. And, you know, it's been a long, long few years. It's been a little frustrating because over time I've seen things get pulled away and taken off the list of, you know, what I originally ordered, like the power tonneau cover, the camp kitchen. Um, now they're encouraging a dual motor setup instead of the quad motor with the max pack and the max pack's delayed. And for me, since I do so much traveling and I already have a couple of EVs that are in the 300 mile uh, range category and I'm road tripping all the time, I really wanted to get my next EV with a 400 mile plus range. And I really wanted this this pickup truck with all these features. And so it's, it's becoming a little disheartening at this point because they've just been pulling feature after feature after feature, and I'm still waiting for that max pack and we'll see if it comes, um, you know, they said February it's February now, but no, it's got delayed again. So now it's, it's going to be, you know, who knows when, (laughs) but essentially I am going to wait for that max pack because, uh, you know, I already have two EVs that can do the 300 miles of, of, Of range already so for me it's worth the wait if it eventually comes i'm just getting a little bit nervous that they might then be like okay we're not gonna do the max pack anymore or something not be uh really devastated but i am i'm still a reservation holder i'm still waiting
0: our podcast the the goal of it is to try to like reach that person who is like the new ev buyer or soon to be ev buyer someone who's maybe like ev curious of like wants to do it but not sure but like open to it and Looking for your input on like, what would be like a real world expectations of like where we're going to be in the next five, 10 years, that's going to help give comfort to somebody who is like still anxious about that transition.
3: I think the national electric vehicle infrastructure is definitely going to play a huge role in making drivers more confident because of all the requirements for it and them having to be every 50 miles on those highway corridors that people are used to driving on to go on a trip. And you know that is has to be deployed within the next you know few years, uh, five years or so. And I think that is super important. Uh, but also getting the price point down on a lot of these vehicles and creating an opportunity for them to go EV in an affordable manner because the battery is your highest cost resource in the in the product. So. You know, prices are still quite expensive and we saw a little bit of a jump because of all the raw material pricing going up during the pandemic. But with these subsidies coming out with the tax credit, uh, that's going to help get the price point down for consumers. And it's also going to create an incentive for the automakers to be able to uh, create lower priced EVs because something that a lot of people aren't talking about with this bill is that automakers are going to have a subsidy of anywhere between $35 and $45 per kilowatt hour to produce the batteries here. And that's why we're seeing a huge rush of automakers trying to build these facilities to build batteries here in North America. And I think that is going to help as well to get those price points down. And then it's just going to be a matter of people you know, experiencing them, getting butts in seats, as they say, and that's part of what I've done over the years. Once you get people in it and you educate them on the reality of that, you know, their expectation of how they're going to live with a vehicle like this, then they start to fall in love and realize that this is actually an option for them to consider. And, you know, I tell a lot of my dealers that I train, um, you know, we see that generally speaking across the industry, some of the best-selling vehicles, like the Toyota Camry or the Honda Accord, they're the best-selling vehicles. Why? Because they're reliable. They're they are very um, low on maintenance, and they're something that can get people from A to B in a manner that is um, you know affordable and reliable for them. And I think EVs will take the place of that. I really do. I am uh, very very convinced that. Most people will ship to EV because it'll be way more affordable than any internal combustion engine. And the lifestyle of not having to maintain it nearly as much of an internal combustion engine, even the ones like a Toyota Camry or an Accord, are definitely going to persuade them to do that. And the total cost of ownership, we've talked about it a lot of time, that it is uh, much more affordable for an EV even at this stage. So once we can get the price point down, then... I think more people will be so enticed financially to to go with it yeah. um, generally speaking.
2: yeah, I mean I, I think that's that's fantastic. I think we um, wholeheartedly agree with all of that. I mean for us, it, at our at our house, one thing that we really notice too is when you make that full transition, it's just you know you're charging every day at home, you're not going to the gas station, you're not you know doing some of those things as far as maintenance for oil changes and just the extra time that ends up eating. Um, up throughout the the month um in, in year it, it's it's funny how you don't think about it but once you get used to it i i definitely don't want to go back to filling up a gas tank
3: i agree if you can match your dwell time with charging uh even if you're just you know i i tell people if you don't have a home charger at this stage of the game it's might not be the right fit for you. You could probably get away with doing it if you are, uh, you know, one that researches it and stuff like that, but to make it the most comfortable and convenient experience, you'll probably want to get a home charger and um and charge at home or you have workplace charging and that makes sense for you because you're going there every day to charge up.
0: I wanted to thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been great to talk with you and I want to give you a chance to plug your outlets, your social media and whatever Channels that you're a part of.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot of really exciting things this year. Um, I just announced that I'm going to be hosting the Go Electric Group Rides powered by Aventon, which is one of the nation's biggest e-bike manufacturers. And so I'm so excited. I will be announcing the places that we are going to be going to pretty soon. But I highly encourage you to follow along and join us when we come across the country to go for these electric bike group, uh, group rides across uh every state. So uh keep your eyes peeled for that. But you can follow me on YouTube.com slash misgoelectric, but on pretty much any social media platform at misgoelectric is my username. So highly recommend you give me a follow. I'm also on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh Twitter. So definitely follow along.
0: All right, and I'll make sure we get those links into our show notes for this particular episode so that our listener can find you there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us
3: thank you guys i really appreciate your time
0: take care thank you for listening to plug in for more make sure you
1: subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes in the meantime check out the one-stop ev marketplace evuniverse.com until next time